0: There we go. Um, okay, so welcome. We're, uh, we're going to go ahead and begin our time this morning for class with uh, going to the Lord in prayer, and then we will begin. Father, thank you that we can come together today yet again on the uh, Sunday, gathering together on the Lord's Day to be with your people and to worship you together. We're thankful for this great privilege that you allow us to come into your presence. Uh, and that you give us not only the uh, the permission to do this, but that you have intentionally sought us out and uh sought those who would be worshipers of you and this was your goal in sending your son into the world that you might seek and save the lost and you might seek those to be your true worshipers and we pray that we would be that this morning as we think about your greatness and all that you have done and all that you are and all that you will do and not only that, but as we consider how we might serve you and how our character might be prepared for that. And we pray that this text would be used to bring that about, that you would help us to serve you more uh, more faithfully through what we learned this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to uh, turn to 2 Timothy once again this morning. Uh, last time that we were here, uh, we began to look at chapter 2 and the first seven verses. And uh, at that time, we looked at verses 1 and 2. We're talking in this particular section in these first seven verses of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 about dedication in gospel ministry. What does it look like to be dedicated to the charge, dedicated to the work of ministry? And uh, as we come to this text, it would be good to think about this from the perspective of what you ought to be, broadly speaking, in how this applies to you, to every single person who is a Christian, Um, what this means to you if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, and then also what this means for uh, the kind of person that you would like those who are particularly given to uh, ministry leadership to be, so what ought someone to be if they are in a position that is uh, somewhat like that that Timothy found himself in, and Uh, Because of that, what are the kinds of things that you can encourage and that you can pray for? So we're going to read these first seven verses, and then we will dig in. He says, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Uh, Last time when we were together, just briefly to review... Verse 1 tells Timothy to draw on the strength of the Lord. You can see this here, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There are a number of challenges that Timothy would face in his, uh, in his life of serving Christ. And in order to do that and to remain faithful to him, there is a particular kind of strength that he would need. Strength that comes only from the grace of Jesus Christ. And uh, though there may be great benefit to, say, physical strength in his, uh, in his life in doing certain things... Um, such as trying to, you know, build a house or whatever Timothy would need to do. Uh, There may be other types of strengths that he may want to have. But at the end of the day, for the particular challenges that Timothy was facing, for the challenges of uh, ministry in a, a world that was hostile to him and against people or in the face of people who were opposing his message, he needs to be strong in a particular way, which is drawing on the grace of Christ. And no amount of other ability or strength is going to enable him to withstand that kind of a storm. And this, of course, is a charge that we need to take strongly as well because uh, of all of the sort of preparation that we may have and all of the efforts that we may put in place uh, to be able to stand firm against things that are difficult in this life, there are certain challenges that can only be met with spiritual strength. And there are certain dimensions of life that can only be successfully overcome by virtue of the grace of Jesus Christ. When Paul was himself suffering a number of years before this, uh, he at one point was suffering and he had a... uh, It was a messenger of Satan who was sent to torment him, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us. And he says, three times I asked the Lord that it might depart from me. But what did the Lord say? Do you remember? He says, uh, my... Grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And he said, Paul, my grace is enough to enable you to endure and to be able to withstand this particular thing that's going on, even if the situation doesn't go away. And we need to remember this often when we, uh, when we are in situations that are too difficult for us, when uh, the, we can't do anything about the circumstances, that God's grace is sufficient for us, To be able to handle those situations, not because we throw them off, but because we're strong enough to endure them. And so it is here with Timothy, particularly with respect to his ministry steadfastness, that he was supposed to be strong in the grace of Christ. We also saw in verse 2 that uh, Timothy was charged to pass along the truth of the gospel or the truths of the gospel. He says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul had received uh, truth from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He had given it to Timothy. There were other people who were there who were witnessing this. He says in the presence of many witnesses. So this is not some isolated thing. There's accountability built in. Timothy knew that there were other people who had heard these same things. And he knew he had a responsibility to do something with them and to faithfully carry them. But it wasn't enough that Timothy would just carry out his charge faithfully himself. Timothy was not to be satisfied that uh, ministry would be faithful in his own time. But he was told to entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you have here four generations brought in. Paul, Timothy, the faithful men, and the others that they would teach. And there is to be with this a continual stream of of the truth being passed down as thoroughly and fully and completely and faithfully as possible from one generation in the church to the next. It was never the intention of Christ that he would come and then people would only be Christians or follow the truth while he was there. It was never Paul's intention in starting these churches and and in preaching the gospel to people, that they would believe it themselves and that they would just leave it there and that they would be a kind of dead end for the gospel. That was never the point. That was never the purpose. These things are supposed to continue and to grow and to be passed down until the Lord Jesus returns. And a vital part of this is that the leaders of the church would be equipped to do this. And so it's a vital responsibility that Timothy had. Timothy no longer being here. The charge implicitly goes to someone else, uh, presumably the other faithful men who have been given the truth of God. And, of course, we are here now some uh, couple of thousand years later, almost, from when this was written. And the charge is passed along to all of those who are in such a position to be able to carry this out today within the church. Those who have these truths and can pass them down. Those who can receive those truths and are able to uh, take them and to pass them on to others. The charge is there to be faithful men who will be able to receive them and then be able to teach other people. And those who can be trusted with the truth of God. And so we consider that this is the kind of thing that people need to be doing, that church leaders need to be doing, and that uh, other men in the church need to be aspiring to and to be working toward in terms of being the kind of faithful man who could receive the truth and therefore teach others. Because this is a responsibility that somebody has to step, step up for. So we need to consider whether or not we might be those people who can do this. So uh, he's supposed to pass down the truths of the gospel. This is the church's responsibility, and this is to be done in the overall instruction of verse 1, to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. So then, we come this morning to verses 3 through 7, and we'll spend most of our time considering verses 3 through 6, where Paul lays out some pictures of what it looks like to serve God faithfully, And, uh, and to do so in particular situations that illustrate the value of Um, really enduring through hardship and of doing what you are supposed to do no matter how difficult it is and that's the reality that Timothy found himself in things were very difficult for him things were hard it was not easy for him to do ministry it was not easy for him to stand firm for the gospel all of his friends almost all of his companions his fellow laborers were uh, being diverted to other things they were being pressured to go to other things they were being drawn aside. To other things. And Timothy himself is supposed to remain steadfast and to strengthen himself in the midst of this and to continue on doing the same thing over and over again for a very long period of time. In fact, all the way until he either dies and finishes the race or until Christ returns. In fact, that is the picture that uh, causes Paul to celebrate in chapter 4. If you look in uh, 2 Timothy 4 with me for a second, you will see uh, in verse 6. He says, uh, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. And then look what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Um, I enjoy... Well, that's a strong word to say enjoy, but I enjoy to some degree running races of various kinds Uh, and uh, when I do those, for me there is always something to it of I want to do this at a certain pace uh, and a certain amount of time. I've never really understood the concept of running a race just to finish, you know. People say, I ran a, a marathon or I ran an ultra or I ran this and you finish the race. And, you know, for me, uh, it's a little bit just different mentality. I don't think less of people who do that just to finish, but I've always had this idea of, uh, I, I want to do this quickly. I want to do this and more quickly than the last time or than I've ever done it before would be the goal. Um, but there is something to finishing a race. There is something to finishing something and going a particular distance. And this is, uh, this is, this is something that Is a great achievement in and of itself. And Paul saw this here. It wasn't so much about the pace with which he finished the race. It's about the fact that he stayed faithful all the way to the end. He didn't quit. He didn't go do something different. Um, He didn't get drawn aside to violate the rules and to cheat, even as we'll see this morning. But he started something and he saw it through all the way to the end. He completed what he had been given to do. And this is what Christ asks for. This is what he tells us to do. He doesn't talk to us and say you must do it at this particular pace. He doesn't say you must do it faster than others or relative to others. He says you need to stay faithful. Stay the course and complete the race. And this is what Timothy is called to do as well. Uh, There are three pictures that are given here. You may notice this in the text. What are the pictures in verses 3 through 6? What are the the roles that are laid out? Shout them out when you see them. A soldier. An athlete. A farmer. Okay. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Uh, There is, with each of these roles, a particular action that is involved. So they are, uh, the soldier does what? The soldier, verse 4. Is in active service, so he he serves. Uh, verse five: the athlete competes, and then verse six: uh, the farmer works. He he just works the farm, works the field. Um, and there is a certain uh, condition that each one of them is supposed to keep, as we'll see. They're supposed to stay unentangled. Uh, they're supposed to follow the rules. And they're supposed to work in a particular way, to work hard. And then there is a goal for each one of them. Verse 4, the soldier is supposed to please the one who enlisted him. Verse 5, the athlete wants to win the prize. And in verse 6, the farmer wants to get a share of the crops. And in fact, it's appropriate, as we'll see in verse 6, for him to be the first to receive his share of the crops if he is the hard-working farmer. Uh, These serve as the basis of the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy, or rather not so much the basis, but an an illustration of this. These various illustrations that show this is what your service to Christ ought to look like. And they emphasize different components of how Timothy was supposed to remain diligent and faithful in the midst of the work. Now, as he begins, before he actually gets into the um, specific illustrations he takes the first one of these and gives an overall command which is really in line with what he's been telling him for the whole first chapter so verse three uh he gives this first instruction and by the way uh if you were here last time or just caught it this morning uh, verse one tells us draw on the strength of the lord draw on the strength of the lord verse two tells us to pass along the truths of the gospel and then verse three Simply says to do ministry as a servant of Christ. Do ministry as a servant of Christ. It's a very broad way of putting that. Uh, and verse 3 specifically says, be willing to suffer hardship. Be willing to suffer hardship. Again, we saw this last time to some degree. There are a number of commands in chapter one: kindle afresh the gift, uh, don't be ashamed, retain the standard of sound words, guard the treasure, and even be strong. But this call to suffer shows up over and over again. Chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. In verse 10, he says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. In chapter 4, verse 5, he says, But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Uh, Chapter 3, in verse 10, he talks about perseverance. In verse 11, persecutions and sufferings. And he says, uh, what persecutions I endured. In verse 12, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's just saying, look, Timothy, there's going to be some hard things and you've got to be willing to endure that and to suffer that. Uh, this is not a call for Timothy to go out and to try to find the worst situation he can be in as far as suffering. When he says to suffer hardship, with him, he's not saying, make it your ambition to suffer as much as you possibly can. There's too much in the scripture about the way that the church responded to and was to respond to the hostility of other people, to make us think that suffering hardship is in and of itself what we ought to desire and to pursue. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells the church specifically to pray, the men in the church to pray for those who are in authority so that we can lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, he doesn't want us to suffer hardship. All other things equal, uh, in the book of Acts, the church was being persecuted, and yet when uh, when when certain responses came, when God was gracious to them and answered their prayer, it says that the church enjoyed peace, being built up. Um, Paul was saved, and this was a great blessing to the church. The fact that Paul was no longer persecuting the church. So this idea that hardship is in and of itself something to seek after is not what this means. When he says, suffer hardship with me, he is not telling him, you know, do everything you're supposed to do as a Christian, but go look for hardship. That's not the point. The point is, hardship is here. It's coming. You're going to be in situations, and Timothy, you are now in a situation where your faithfulness is going to cause you to run into hardship. That's the distinction. And what he's saying is you need to be willing to actually suffer that. So, for example, uh, to use this illustration that he has here of a soldier. Uh, a soldier who is in, uh, they are are—they are involved in a war in some way. Uh, a soldier is not to go and to simply seek out the most suffering that they can bring upon themselves. To go expose themselves to enemy fire on purpose just for the sake of taking as many bullets as they can with no further objective. That's not the point of what a soldier is supposed to do. But when it's time for that soldier to go into a battle or to take a position or to go into to execute some maneuver, that guy needs to be willing to endure the possible harm that can come to him to carry out that order. That's what it means to suffer hardship. He says, Timothy, you need to be willing to stay in the battle and not to draw back. You need to be willing to get into the fight if you're not in it now. And you need to do this, Paul says, as a fellow sufferer. You notice this here. He says, suffer hardship with me. In fact, uh, the word me, you may notice, is not even technically there in the original. It just says, suffer hardship with or suffer hardship together. Uh, This idea is that. Paul is suffering hardship. There are others who are willing to do this. You have uh, Onesiphorus in chapter one, verse sixteen. It says he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He was at least willing to suffer hardship. We don't know exactly what hardship he suffered, but he was willing to. And this then would rope Timothy in with anybody else who was a faithful servant of Christ in the face of suffering. So he says, "Look, join in this battle. Don't shrink back. Don't stand off to the side." But be willing to get in the fight and to take whatever hits may come. So he says, suffer hardship. Be willing to suffer hardship. And uh, he is to do so as a good soldier of who? Verse 3. A good soldier of Christ Jesus. Good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, this is ultimately why we are in this. And we're going to look at this in verse 4. Any questions? before we go on to verse 4, and then we will uh, we'll discuss a little more as we go into that. But any questions uh, about what we've talked about so far? Okay, so let's look at these three pictures then. Be willing to suffer hardship, he says. Uh, verse 4, the main message is, devote yourself to pleasing Christ. Devote yourself to pleasing Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. He says, this soldier doesn't get entangled in everyday affairs. Why? Because he has one goal. He wants to please the one who enlisted him. Uh, Now, this is something of a difficult um, cultural background thing to to try to understand because we don't know exactly who it was who enlisted him. The best you can tell from this particular text is uh, that he's trying to please someone who enlisted him and that person is going to see what's going on. So probably it's someone who is actually in the uh, the military along with him. Uh, I think it's pretty clear here that the picture of what's going on in spiritual terms is that we are trying to please Christ. And of course this kind of language is all through uh, all through the scriptures so first corinthians chapter 7 verse 32 talks about the value of being completely free and unburdened so that you may please the lord in uh, galatians 1 verse 10 paul says this i'll read this to you he says "Uh, for am i now seeking the favor of men or of god or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul's goal was to please who? To please God. To please the Lord Jesus Christ. This was his goal. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. And this is in exact contrast to people that he would talk about later on in First Thessalonians 2.15 who he says are not pleasing to God. They persecute the church and they are not pleasing to God even though the persecution of Christians was an attempt a wrong-headed attempt to do so. So this is what the goal is to be pleasing to Jesus Christ. Again if, we, if you've heard this before I apologize but this is a vital motivation for us in our service, a lot of people get caught up in the idea of our depravity, which before we are in Christ is, in one very real sense, total. Uh, we are not striving to please God in anything that we do. Everything that we do is, to some degree, affected by our sin. It is affected by our nature, which is hostile toward God. And so, Romans 8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8 8. It's impossible if you are not a Christian to please God. We get hung up on this and carry this over and import this too strongly and too oversimplistically into the Christian life, and say, "Well, I'm just depraved. I'm just a sinner. Uh, I can't do anything that's pleasing to God. All my good works are corrupt." And yeah, it's true that nothing that you do will ever be apart from uh, future glory. Will be completely motivated purely in the absolute sense of the most desiring to please Christ that you can. Uh, that there's not some remaining thing you need to deal with in your character. Certainly that 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 is true. But the Bible is pretty clear that we as Christians, despite that, can please God and can please Christ. And not only that we can, but that it ought to be our goal. And so 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 says that we make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. That's what we strive to do. Being able to please God brings meaning to everything we do. It gives us the opportunity to Uh, make every moment a moment where we can choose to please God or to please ourselves and we can worship and honor him in every circumstance every day no matter what kind of situation we're in whether you hate your job or love your job whether your relationships are very difficult or not whether your physical health is very difficult or not in every circumstance the way that you respond in those situations if you obey what scripture says you can please Christ and so you can kind of have a success, if you will, in every, every single moment because you have the opportunity to please Christ. Well, that's the goal here. What does it take for a soldier not to do this? Well, he has to be not entangled. He says, uh, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The picture here uh, in this word actually is that of a, uh, uh, it was used of, for example, a sheep whose wool would get caught in thorns, and he was stuck and and couldn't move. He would get caught in that. And what he's saying is a soldier cannot let this happen to him because he has a job to do. Uh, So tell me, what would this look like? Maybe I can ask even those who have uh, either some direct military experience or uh, those who know or have been in the family with someone who has. And uh, putting you on the spot here a little bit, but if you, what would this look like? Was, th- was there uh, limited ability to get involved in civilian affairs during that time? And if so, like what would that look like? And if not, just speak out of ignorance and say, what do you think it would look like for someone <laughs> who is uh, who is in the military for this to take place? What restrictions are there? What 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 do you not get to do? Yeah, Marvin. Okay, you don't get to choose where to live. Okay. <laughs> you don't. Your dreams did not come true. No, the dream list. So you fill a dream list of what you'd like to do, but that doesn't really uh, doesn't really happen. Okay. Yeah. So it's just very all-encompassing, and so much so that you didn't even realize it until you got out. Uh, uh, well, yeah, it's very, very uh, illustrative. Yeah, anyone else? Yeah, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a good way to put it. It affects their entire life, right? And uh, when you sign up, what's the, I mean, the common phrase that I always hear is, you know, now they own you, right? You belong to the government. Uh, And so you do what they tell you. And I remember we were in D.C. for youth camp a long time ago. We were at the Pentagon and we were on this, the walking tour going through the Pentagon and somebody in the group. They said something like, uh, "Did you uh, did you volunteer to do this tour guide role at the Pentagon?" He says, "I was voluntold." So that was uh, that's how he got there. He was voluntold. He was probably good at what he did. It seemed like it to me. But nonetheless, yeah, you are uh, you're at the mercy of someone else, and you have this sole goal. There's you don't get to uh, be involved in other things, maybe in the way that you want. And even here, there's a, there's a sort of focus in devotion. I mean, there are, this, this happens in really a lot of a lot of spheres where people will, uh, they will go off the grid to complete a project. Um, there are athletes who will shut down and completely remove themselves from, say, social media during the playoffs so that they can lock in and not have any outside voices coming in and distracting them because they have this one purpose. They want to win the championship. Uh, we know what this is like, but it's really easy to get involved in these things. What are some of the things that those who would serve Christ may um, get themselves entangled with that are in this category of the affairs of everyday life? What are those things in our world? What are some of the examples of that? Uh, yeah, Hannah. Mhm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, sure. So, yeah, so hobbies so things that can be enjoyable and good things and, and in in real ways, right? But there are particular things that you are directly and specifically responsible for that can be eclipsed by those. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Ryan, did you I say that either Yeah, yeah, your job that uh, and that's one that takes wisdom with when when it comes to work because uh, work is very potentially part of pleasing Christ in and of itself, the way that we work. You know, Ephesians 6 uh, talks about that, even for those who are slaves, to work as unto the Lord. So there is a real measure where pleasing Christ uh, is part of, yeah, work is part of that. And working faithfully and working well and with a proper attitude and working so as to provide for your family. So those things are real. Uh, it's that other things can then kind of come along with that, the desire for prestige, the desire for riches, Um, the uh, irresponsibility that comes by just saying, well, you know, I just have so many things to do that I, you know, I just, um, yeah, I just, I have to work tonight. I have to work again. I have to work again. I have to work again. And you're not actually responsible to try to take care of the other responsibilities that you have. Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, There's a passage I always find fascinating when um, Jesus is giving the parable of the, the soils, the sower, the seed of the soils. And uh, it's only in one of the accounts where this particular part is mentioned. But he says about the things that come and choke out the word. Uh, among all the things, he says the desire for other things choke out the word. It's just so interesting. The desire for, it's so broad and open-ended the desire for other things, and how all of these kinds of interests and activities that someone can be involved in, and goodness, uh, who knows what um, someone might uh, think hearing that today. I mean, the the number of potential activities in our world, is like, it's amazing, And, and how deep down the rabbit hole you can go on anything. It's, it's unbelievable. You could, you could live a thousand lifetimes and not exhaust the amount of things that there are to do in this world. And uh, yet he says that kind of thing can draw us and uh, can choke the word. So the desire for other things and where those become what we love more and what we're focused on more than serving and pleasing Christ. Again, it's not to say that there is no place for things, but entangling yourself. This, this can be very, very, uh, this can be subtle, It can happen easily, and certainly uh, it's the kind of thing where it would be more enjoyable to kind of just partake in those than in the spiritual battle that is here and the gospel uh, advancement that is supposed to be taking place through our lives. Yeah, any other thoughts on this uh, not getting entangled in active service? Yeah, Tracy. Still exists. There's some things, yeah. (laughs) I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, so they're good just. Everyday, responsible, kind of faithful, doing things that are that you're supposed to do, but you never sort of step have the actual biblical perspective, bringing them to bear on that. Yeah, so taking care of taking care of people in your family, taking care of business, taking care of whatever needs to be done, but yeah, not not actually then bringing scripture to bear upon that and and thinking about that. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, I'm not, I've got nothing against you here. You, uh, yeah. Yeah, Stephen, go first, then Daniel. Yeah, yeah, the, the political, the injection of everything, politi- of politics into everything, and uh, and the constant, the pervasiveness of people talking about it. it. It is really easy to just let that be the case. And yeah, why are you talking about it? What are you in it for? Are you doing this? Is the gospel the through line for all of this? Is is the, the kingdom of God the through line for all this? Or is this just, this is just everyday life. This is just what we talk about, and that's all you think about. Yeah, yeah, good. Daniel. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, tennis especially, very, in, very entangling. Yes, yes. I uh, I agree. Very entangling to play too much. I think that's actually what he had in mind here. That's the authorial intent. Yeah, Paul was saying, don't entangle yourself in the uh, on the tennis court. Yeah, I think there's something here about smoking meat too. I can't. Is that? I don't know. Is that uh, something? Something here? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, oh, just, uh, just having some good fun. Uh, yeah, the, it can be anything, and you know, the political realm certainly is one of the the dangers of it because there's so much access to it, and we're involved in. Um, you know, we have the opportunity to be involved in the process of people becoming um, the next leaders of our various spheres and levels of government, and therefore. Uh, it's easy for us to kind of take that opportunity and to walk into that door and then just move into that entire world. It's like when the kids stumbled through the wardrobe into Narnia, and it's like, hey, let's just stay here forever, you know. Uh, That's kind of what we do with with politics. It's like, well, I have to vote, so let me look up some stuff. And then, you know, 10,000 hours later of taking in information about it, we're still gonna vote for the same guy that we were when we first you know, looked in after five minutes or whatever. Uh, I'm not saying that's always the case, but you know, we, we kind of delude ourselves about how much we have to be involved in it. But more than that, it's a matter of how, uh, how much does this prevent you from wanting to and thinking about pleasing Christ? That's really the difference. And the, if, if these things get in your way of being able to do that, then you are entangled in them. If they assist you in some way in doing that, and we need to be careful about rationalizing uh, where some of the, well, you know, it helps me in this way or that way. You know, sometimes it does, but sometimes we are rationalizing and just justifying what we want to do anyway. And we have to be honest with ourselves before the Lord about that. Um, But if they help us, then fine. If they they entangle us and harm us, then we need to uh, recognize them for what they are. So, you know, it is okay to be... um, I don't know, they're, they're, the charges will come that Christians are too heavenly minded to do any earthly good. Uh, maybe they're not as involved in civic affairs. Maybe they're not as involved in community affairs. Uh, we can take that too far and, you know, go off uh, and just be those who live in a, you know, a kind of commune. Or we can just kind of isolate ourselves from the world and try to go out of the world. First Corinthians 5 talks about how that's just really impossible. We try to create these scenarios in which it does take place because it's comfortable to be away from the world. Um, that's not really what we're supposed to do. We should be involved in the lives of unbelieving people for the sake of uh, serving them and primarily with with the gospel. Um, Also, just loving our neighbor as we have opportunity to do good, Galatians 6 tells us. But nonetheless, uh, it is possible that um, we don't have to be uh, doing all the same things to the same level that someone around us would do if they're not trying to please Christ. And that needs to be what guides us. And that is the standard so that if these things come underneath that and can help with that, by all means, let's do them. If they don't, then we need to make sure we're not entangled in them. So that is the standard. Uh, so there is a place for a certain type of ignorance that's okay. There's a certain type of saying, you know, I can only give so much time to this, and that's okay. Um, and for not being involved in this or that, and that's Okay. Um, we need to be careful not to judge one another in these matters, although questions and uh, encouragements are always welcome if we are humble about them. But uh, we do need to recognize people will have different judgments as to what, in, uh, what entails entanglement. But we also need to be careful, as all of us individually, that we are not letting this happen to ourselves and we're not encouraging it in the lives of others. Uh, Active service, then. He's not supposed to entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life. Uh, verse 5, do things the right way. Verse 5 tells us to do things the right way. He says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So his role is as an athlete. Uh, The scene is competing in the games. These games... Uh, you know the modern Olympiad is uh, is a modern thing. Started, I think, 1896. Restarted in uh, Athens, and has continued to this day. But there were games like this in Timothy's day. The Olympic Games, of course, the uh, the Isthmian Games that would have been held in Corinth on sort of the uh, uh, the in between years of this, and. Um, we have pictures of this in 1 Corinthians 9, where there is an athlete who's trying to, Paul is picturing himself as an athlete trying to uh, compete for a, a crown or a wreath would have been given to the winner. And he says, we do it, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. But here he just goes straight to this picture of someone who's trying to win a prize competing as an athlete. Um, and you guys know what those would be, ribbons and medals and, uh, and trophies and prize money, these are the things that come with this. But you don't win the prize unless you compete according to the rules. In those days, you would have had to follow the rules not only for the actual, in the competition itself, but also for uh, whatever would go on outside of that. You had to put in a certain amount of training and so on. Uh, now we have things that would disqualify someone from uh, actually winning a prize. It can happen in the race. How many of you know uh, the name Rosie Ruiz? Have you heard of that before? Anybody know that name? Okay. Okay. Um, she basically uh, went off the course at some point during the, I think it was the Boston Marathon, and then went some other way and then jumped in back into the, the race uh, and finished the race ahead of everybody by a long way and was celebrated and all that. And then it turns out she only ran like a few miles of the race. And no wonder that she won. Uh, it was on the video clip of the uh, not-so-great moments in sports that we used to watch growing up. So that was, uh, that was cheating. That was not following the rules. She got the prize but then was later disqualified. Uh, How many of you know the name Pete Rose? Pete Rose. What's his nickname? Charlie Hustle. Uh, What was Pete Rose known for? Yeah, and sadly, that is what he is now known for, for gambling, and he is uh, banned for life. He he was, at one point, and may still be the all-time hits leader in Major League Baseball history, more hits than anyone else in the history of the game, and yet... He is banned from baseball, unable to participate, unable to coach, uh, not able to be in the Hall of Fame, all of these things because of uh, activities related to gambling upon his games, uh, which was uh, what he was doing was illegal according to the rules. Maybe you guys saw this last year. There was a fishing tournament where a couple of guys added weights to the fish. Did you see this? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know much about fishing, but my neighbor does. And he was like, they were so dumb about it. You know, they they didn't just do it where it would be just barely bigger than everybody else. But it was just unreasonable. So they, you know, of course, they were going to get caught. But uh, they had the prize temporarily. But then they were exposed right there. And they didn't win the prize. Of course, all of this is uh, evident. We know these things. But this is what Paul is emphasizing here. Is you have to do things the way that you're supposed to do them. You don't win the prize unless you actually follow the prescribed procedure. And... Um, You know, there are a lot of ways where people do things differently than what Christ has prescribed in ministry and in the church and in the gospel. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, you can't lay another foundation besides the one that's already been laid, which is Christ. But each man has to be careful how he builds on it. How are you building the church? And he says there's a potential for what you build even in the name of Christ, on the foundation of Christ, to be burned up under the judgment of Christ when we all, uh, when, when our work is tested. There is the possibility of doing things in the church the wrong way. You hear people all the time, we're all serving Jesus. We're all on the same team. We all have these different ways. You know, what does it matter as long as it works? Well, it matters a lot. You have to follow the rules. There is a lot, uh, there were a lot of opportunities Timothy would have had to continue to uh, ostensibly serve in gospel ministry, but to do so in a way where he could have avoided suffering and could have avoided hardship. And this is what people are like in maybe 2 or 2 Timothy 4 where it says uh, the time will come, verse 3, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You don't think that Timothy would have had some temptation if he were so inclined to those kinds of things to say, you know, it'd be nice to not be attacked for the things that I say that are hard for people to hear. That that would be kind of nice, you know, to people are demanding this. Yeah, let me give this to them. I don't have to suffer at all. I can just kind of alter my message a little bit. Still serving Christ, but maybe it's a little bit more amenable, a little bit more winsome, you know, a little bit nicer. It's not so perceived as judgmental. Um, you know, it's just more, more of a positive Christianity Kind of more what people want to hear. But it's still Jesus. You still need Jesus. You still need him. We're all sinners. You know, we're all in this position. We're all kind of broken. We need God. We do. We all are, we're all destined for a place called hell. But Jesus came to save us. And, you know, this just he loves us all. And kind of this uh, watered down version of the things that Paul is telling Timothy to do. Wh- whatever it was, these could be a temptation to not follow the rules and to not do things in this way. And I think this is where the temptation will really come for us um, in our day if we do face suffering for any given reason, which is not so much that people will not uh, be okay with Christians, it's that they won't be okay with a certain type of Christian uh, where biblical fidelity is non-negotiable. They won't have a problem with Christianity per se, but with Christianity that tells them you know, that actually the Bible calls it sin. Um, this actually is what living as a Christian looks like. It includes not only just saying you're a Christian, but it includes repentance. Uh, it includes being willing to be associated with Christ in the ways where people wouldn't necessarily like him culturally. So this is this would have been a temptation for Timothy. You can't just say, "Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a gospel ministry." You have to follow the rules. You have to do it God's way. You have to do it the way that Christ laid down and according to his uh, according to his prescriptions. So. Uh, yeah, if you want to win the prize, if you want to stand before Christ and be rewarded, then you need to be faithful. You need to be careful how you build on the foundation of Christ. Not just naming the name of Christ, but doing things the way that he said. A couple of more things here. Verse 6 tells us we need to work hard for the reward. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Uh, how many of you have been farmers or like lived on a okay. Uh is this take a little bit of time? A little bit of work? What time do you get up in the morning? Five AM? Sounds late for a farmer to me, to be honest with you. Anybody else have it earlier? Well, I mean still five AM. Yeah. Uh how many hours in a day are you working as a farmer? All of them? Pretty much just time to get up until the time you go to bed? Um how many days a week are you working? And all of them, and how many days a year? I mean, this is this is constant, and it's not just that you do it, and uh, and it's easy work either. I mean, this is physical, hard labor. Now, I don't know that Paul is telling Timothy you need to that there's going to be physical labor involved here, although there would be some physical hardship and suffering, perhaps. Uh, through this. Paul describes some of that in 2 Corinthians 11 as Ryan has gone over before in Paul's testimony of his suffering. But uh, the point is he's saying, look, don't get any illusions, Timothy, that this is going to be a some kind of a cakewalk. This is not. If you want to receive your share of the crops, and here it says the hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. This is appropriate. He works hard and then he gets to eat the fruit of his labor, he says you can't just coast. You have to work hard and you have to expect that there will, be, there will be hardship involved and that you have to keep going and keep going and keep going and the work never stops. This is how we ought to view serving Christ, not because he's some kind of a hard taskmaster. In fact, uh, he actually is gracious to us and he helps us and he rewards us and he encourages us as opposed to the other potential master, which is sin, who does nothing but deceive us and then punishes us with death by the time we're done with it. Christ is a very gracious master. And yet ministry is still going to be hard work. Serving others is hard work um, because we have to deny ourselves, and we have to seek to benefit other people rather than just self-indulgence or sitting around doing nothing. So working hard for the reward is what he encourages here. And he then wraps up this section by saying, uh, consider what I say. For the lord will give you understanding in everything this just is uh we can just summarize this by saying carefully consider the words of the apostle carefully consider the words of the apostle think about these things timothy uh, I think what he's saying here, and I, I can't be sure, unfortunately, I, I, as far as the exact, what, he, what does he mean by the Lord giving you understanding and everything? My, uh, the best understanding that I have of this is that he is saying you can connect these. The Lord is going to help you as you think about these words and as you think about these truths. He's going to help you connect uh, in every situation the truth of God to that situation. He's going to help you understand these things. Certainly it's possible that the Lord could give uh, Timothy a kind of prophetic understanding. In fact, Timothy had received certain things like that. Um, or at least there had been prophecies made concerning him at a minimum. Um, we don't know for sure that he himself had been able to prophesy at any time. But nonetheless, it could be that that's there. But it seems because this has to do with everything, understanding in everything, Uh, It seems unlikely to me that he would be saying the Lord is going to give you some prophetic understanding of every single thing that happens to you. So probably what he's doing here is simply saying uh, in every situation you find yourself in, in particular in ministry, the Lord is going to give you understanding of how to handle that circumstance and how to respond in that situation based upon the truth that you know as you consider the words that I have said. So the understanding comes from Christ. He says that he's going to be there with you. He's going to help you. He's going to help you mentally with this. He's going to help you know what to do. Uh, so just keep in mind these things, Timothy. Don't forget all that I'm telling you here because these things are going to come in handy when the Lord grants you understanding by means of using them in those circumstances to help you to be faithful to him. All right, we need to wrap up this morning. If you have any uh, further questions, feel free uh, to talk to me. I'd love to, love to talk. Let's uh, pray together. God, thank you for this encouragement. Help us to follow this faithful model of how we might serve you and may we uh, we be eager to do so at every moment of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.